Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. We are always very excited at your presence. Uh, again, very thankful for the opportunity. God is so good to us, and he's given us yet another opportunity to assemble together, to be encouraged by one another, and ultimately to praise and to worship his holy and righteous name. And we're very thankful that you've chosen to do that with us this morning. If you are a new member here, uh, I'm going to invite you to please come back tonight uh, because the sermon is for you. Um, it's thinking about you. We're very thrilled about your decision to either place your membership or to obey the gospel. But the sermon is for you tonight, and so we hope that you'll come back and we can talk about some things relative to what you've done and to uh, what you've become a part of, what kind of your uh, responsibilities might be toward us and those of us who are already members, what ours might be toward you. And so please come back tonight if you're a new member. Of course, if you're an old member, come back too. And I don't mean old by age. I mean old if you've been in the body for a long time, you're a regular member here. Let's see you tonight encourage the new members. Is that all right? We have been talking about change. We have been talking about transformation. We've been talking about sanctification. And we said that we were going to just get very practical about that and not necessarily have sermons leading into it, but just get very practical about how that's done. And so let me remind you kind of where we've been as we move forward with those thoughts. We, we talked about that if you hope to change, you need to think inwardly. Change has to come from within. You're the one who is controlling your heart, soul, and mind, and you're the one ultimately who can change. We don't need the world to change around us. We don't need our circumstances to change. Uh, we need to change within the circumstances, and we need to change within the world, and Jesus can help us do that. And so we said, find your why. There is a particular thing that moves you. What is it, and why do you do what you do, and why do you want what you want? Why do you reach for what you reach for, and why do you use it the way that you use it? You need to know those things if you hope to change. We said deny the lie that sin is good to you. Well, that's what happens. Sin lies. Sin deceives. Sin takes advantage. Sin tries to dominate, and it will lie to you, whisper in your ear, this is good for you. You don't need to change. They need to change. They need to love you as you are, and they need to just like you and accept you and say nothing about you. Well, it's just not true. Deny the lie that sin is good for you. Embrace the danger of what will happen if you don't change. We said that. It could be generational. What happens if you don't change and you need to? Well, it could be that you pass that on to your children and they to their children, their children's children. You could look up and quite possibly be responsible to at least some degree of influencing generation after generation after generation to not follow the Lord, to not obey the gospel. You don't want to be responsible for that. You don't want to have that by way of your influence. Souls are involved. People's eternal destinies are involved. We said also that you have to consider yourself properly. This is what we talked about in Romans chapter 6, the last time we were together. We talked about considering yourself as a new creation. That's the first five verses. We talked about considering yourself alive with Christ, dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We talked about considering yourself a servant to God, not a servant to sin, not a servant to unrighteousness, but a servant to God. We also suggest that Scripture teaches you're empowered, verse 12. Paul says, let not sin reign. Therefore, you're in control of it. You can decide whether or not sin reigns in your life or not. He said, don't let it. Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Consider your new master. And consider the, your knowledgeableness of sin's deceit and how it seeks to deceive you. We talked about those things. 
We've also said in the past, and so let me suggest it here before we move forward today, that this is a process, and that's what we're talking about, a process in progress. That's what this is. Change is a process, and so you're moving toward maturity, spiritually speaking. We'll look at some verses this very morning that has that bent to it. To that end, let me encourage you, give yourself every advantage of success. What are you going to use to do this change? You're going to need God's Word for that. Far too often, and I think I've encouraged you in the past, let me encourage you now, when you come to listen to a sermon, bring something to write with. Take notes. Write it down. Follow the preacher along. See if, hey, see if the things he's saying is so, Acts 17, 11. But then you have something to study when you go home. You'll have something to review. You'll have notes to go over. You'll say, oh, that's right. He said this. Oh, that passage means this. Otherwise, what will happen is you'll get into the habit of just coming to hear. Well, how much will you remember? How much will you retain? How much will be useful to you? Now, some people have told me, well, I don't take notes, Eric, but I go back and listen to the sermon during the week after they put it up online. Thank you to those people who put them up online. And that's great. If you go back and listen to the sermon, then you have something to study. But friends, what happens is if you just come and just listen, and I just talk, then we get into this thing where I come and talk, and you come and listen, and then we both go home. Honestly, that's not going to do you very good for the next six days until we come back and do it again. I'm not going to stop talking because that's what I do. But I don't know how useful that is to you. And I'm on your team. We're in this together. And I want us to study together. I want us to grow together. I want us to change together. In order to do that, then you've got to engage yourself more fully in this, this arrangement. Change is process. If you have your Bibles, look at 1 Peter. Peter talks about it in just that kind of language. He mentions it several times here in these first few passages, first few chapters of his book, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 14, Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the one of the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your own behavior. For as it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You'll notice there in verse number 14, he says, As obedient children. Well, how does one become a child of God? Slide down, if you will, to verse 22 in the same chapter, where Peter says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the, the, from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is a perishable, but of imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. You remember Jesus and Nicodemus having a conversation about the new birth, being born again? That's what's happening here. Peter says, you've done that. You remember we were in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about a death, a burial, and a resurrection, and a new life. That's the born again. Now they've done that. They've purified their souls in obeying the truth. They're starting like children now. Now grow. This is the difference between salvation and sanctification. Sanctification is that ongoing process of growth and maturation where those changing and that transformation takes place. The very thing we've been talking about, 
Look there in chapter 2 of 1 Peter and notice what he says beginning in verse 1. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord that he is good. Peter says here again, now that you're born again, now that you're a child of God, now that you're a babe, he says, like a babe longing for milk, you spiritually long for the Word of God. What would it do for you? It will help you grow. That transformation of which you seek, that change you're talking about, that moving to spiritual maturation, how will I do that? By longing for the Word of God. There are other passages we could read that would say the same thing. 1 Thessalonians 4 and the first seven verses come to mind. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17, down in the chapter 5, possibly even in the chapter 6, would say the same thing. This process of change and growth. That's what we've been talking about. And this morning, we're just noting the fact that it is a process. And hopefully, you're in the process and making progress as you grow. How do you do that? Well, let's look at about three or four things this morning as to how we continue down this path. Number one, learn new truth. You and I are, by way of action and words and thoughts and deeds, the sum total of our hearts. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus, throughout that whole chapter, he explains to the Jews that it's not what goes within that defiles, but it's what comes out. And he says, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds. Well, he talks about all of these things, adultery, fornication, theft, murder, deceit, all of those evil things, Jesus has come from within, and they defile the man. Otherwise, you just put things into your body and it's processed and passed out. But he says the heart, that's where the defilement comes from. Well, when it comes to our heart, our words come from our hearts. Our thoughts come from our hearts. Our deeds come from our hearts. And so what the Scripture constantly emphasizes is you need to learn some new information. It's your heart and my heart that's gotten us to the point where we are. It's the information that we think and hold about any number of things that move us to the actions that we've been taking. And if we want to change those actions, we have to learn some new thinking. We have to learn the truth, maybe about some things we're presently thinking. So I would urge, learn the truth about God. Notice Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and verse 7 with me, if you would. Moses in chapter 33, verse 12 down to verse 18 he says to God, I want to know you. If you're going to send me and, and come with us, then, then I want to know who you are. Show me your glory. Tell me who you are. And God says to Moses, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by before you, and I will proclaim my name. And God is going to tell Moses who he is. Now, I don't presently know what you think about God. I don't know how you feel about God. I don't know if you think God is something other than what he says he is, but it's possible. Sometimes God's children struggle to know God. 
The Israelites did. Micah chapter 6, Hosea chapter 4, and the first six verses. There are people in the Bible that didn't know God. Here is who God is, though, and he says it himself. Exodus 34 and verse number 6, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. He keeps thousands, loving kindness for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, and will by no means hold the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren, to the third and the fourth generation. Verse number eight, we didn't read it, but it says Moses made haste and worshiped God. This goodness of God is how Paul would describe God, even in terms of judgment. In Romans chapter 2, he would say, do you not know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is good. Now, I know people just say it for the sake of saying it these days, but more importantly, biblically speaking, it's absolutely true. Do you know that? Or are you and I more like the man in Matthew 25 and verse 24? the man who received the one talent. And when his master came to him, he said to his master, I knew you, that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not straw. And I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the earth. Lo, you have here what is yours. Is that the way you think about God? Now, I always encourage people to go ahead and be honest about this for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, you do know what you think. No point fudging, you do know. Number two, God knows. God knows what you think. God knows if you think he's hard. God knows if you think pleasing him is difficulty and a laborious task that you don't seem to do very well. God knows if that's how you feel. You know that's how you feel. Thirdly, if you don't admit it, you can't fix it. So you need to go ahead and own that. What I'm saying to you is that thinking about God is wrong. And for a lot of Christians, what holds them up from change and growth and maturation and longing for the Word of God and becoming them full selves as mature individuals, spiritually minded, is that they think they can't because God is so hard. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 3, God had John write, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And then he said this, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not burdensome. Let me ask you this. Who's right? Us or God? Is his commandments burdensome or not? Are his commands grievous or not? Jesus would say it this way. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn to me, for I am meek and lowly and hearty. You shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and you'll find rest to your souls. Have you become a Christian? Have you found rest? If you become a Christian, have you found peace? You become a Christian, have you found joy? You become a Christian. Has your load been lightened? You probably need to learn the truth about God. You need to learn the truth about yourself. Genesis 1, 26, 27, God made you in his image. You are not meant for bondage, at least not to sin. You are not meant for that. In fact, Peter is very clear in his second epistle, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, you have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. And as a result of that, he says, you can add to your faith. One of the things you can add is knowledge. Another one is temperance. You do know you can add self-control to your life. If you learn the truth about you, the truth about you is you're meant for freedom. For freedom, Christ has made us free. 
You are meant to be free in Jesus. You are meant to be rid of bondage to sin. You're not a slave and subject to the oppression and burden and weight of guilt. That's not who you are. You should probably learn the truth about you. You should learn the truth about people. Everybody's the same. Everybody's made in his image. Everybody's subject to the same challenges of life. Some people have not submitted to God. Some people have submitted to God. Paul says, you, speaking of those brethren in Rome, you once were the servants of sin. Well, they're not anymore. Why not? They've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which was delivered unto them. But Paul then talks about those who are servants of sin. So let me ask you this. If you were a servant of sin and you obeyed the gospel and now you're free, where does that leave the people who haven't obeyed the gospel? A person is either a servant of God or a servant of sin. But there's only two camps, and everybody's in one of them. You know, what would be happy or what would be good is if you and I would develop the appropriate expectations of the world. There are people who have not obeyed the gospel. That makes them servants of sin. What's your expectation? There are people who were the servants of sin but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. Now, sometimes here people make the mistake of saying, well, if people have obeyed the gospel, that means my expectations can just go through the roof and I can expect them to be perfect. Well, why, why isn't that right? What's this series of sermons been about? Oh, that's right. Growth and maturation and change and transformation. Well, who is undergoing that growth? People who have obeyed the gospel. And so not even those people will always do what's right as they're in the process of growing and becoming more and more like their Savior. How do they do that? Peter said, desire the sincere milk of the Word. This is why you and I and our longing for the Word is how we grow. But if you aren't doing it and then other people aren't doing it, what's your expectation? You should develop the right expectations. You should learn about people. You should learn about the world. Sometimes the word world is used for both the people and the material order. And sometimes people misunderstand people, and sometimes they misunderstand the material world in which we live. The Bible says several things, but friends, listen, it's the same for us all. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse number 11, the Bible teaches that time and chance happens to us all. To whom? To us all. There aren't any exceptions for that. It happens to us all. Everybody, have you ever met a person who never has time? You ever met that person? What you doing? I'm just, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. Do you know anybody who's got any more time than 24 hours? You know how much time you have? The same time that everybody else has. God doesn't divide up time differently for us. You have the same 24 hours because the world's the same. We all have the same temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not allow you or suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape? Some people live as if the world has been tilted against them. They, they live as if God somehow turned the world, but for them, it's different than everybody else. Everybody's against me. Everything's against me. It just never works out for me. Oh, you're just lucky. No, 
It's the same world for everybody. You don't have any other circumstances than anybody else does or have had. Solomon said it well, there's no new thing under the sun. One generation comes, another generation goes. The earth remains, and there's no new thing under the sun. John would say it this way, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, now unless you can come up with something different, John says this is it. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, it's of the world, and the world's passing away. Who has access to that? Everybody. It's the same world for everybody. You should learn the truth about that, and you should stop holding yourself up from change because you keep convincing yourself, but not me. The world is against me. Everything's against me. This is stopping me. That is stopping me. The truth is, it's the same for everybody. And in the same world, there are plenty of people who do change and who do grow and who do mature and who are not what they once were, and you can be too. Jesus said as much in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, where he says, Whosoever hears these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains came, and the floods rose, and the wind descended, and beat upon that house. But the house stood. Why? It was founded upon a rock. Let me ask you this. What else did he say? You know, the Lord didn't have more than two foundations. There's only two foundations in all of the world. Either you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. And so, there are rock builders and sand builders. Question, what happens if you build your house on the rock? It gets rained on. Well, who? Every rock builder. Everyone who builds his house on the rock gets the rain and the wind and the storm and the floods. Everyone. And everyone who builds his house on the sand gets the rain and the wind and the storm. Everybody gets the same thing. There's only two foundations. This one will fall, however. That one will stand. But you should learn the truth about the world. God hasn't canted the world against you. He has not fixed it so you can't change. You can't. He's not done that to you. In fact, I would say next, learn from those in Scripture who did change. There are plenty of success stories in Scripture. There are plenty of individuals who, who changed the direction and course of their lives. And as a result of changing the direction and course of their lives, they changed themselves and they changed so much more. Romans 15 and verse number 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I, I think and I would urge that we focus on the last part of the verse, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. There's hope in the Old Testament. There's hope in the Scriptures. There's hope. Well, who would we be learning about back there? The faithful of all the ages, Hebrews chapter 11. The redeemed of all the We'd be learning about them. Some of them didn't start out so well. Some of them started out well and then fell off and then came back. But there's so much to be learned, and there's hope back there. One of those people is named Manasseh, 2 Chronicles 33, 10 to 20. If you read about King Manasseh, what you'll find is this man was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 55 years, and almost all of that reign was wicked. Almost all of it. But when God punished him and sent him into captivity, the Bible says he humbled himself. 
and he repented, and God forgave. And there is event like that over and over and over in our scriptures. There is Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5, another individual who was going the wrong way, but he came back and he turned around. And after his being dipped or dipping in the Jordan seven times, he came out of that in verse number 15, and he said, now I know there is no God except in Israel, no God like the one in Israel. I know that now. We could talk about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 through 4, where eventually he comes and his mind is restored. He comes back to himself, and he praises the Lord. Again, like Naaman, now I know. There's an example of it in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul who looks back on his life, and he writes about his past, and he says this in 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 13, who was before, whatever he is about to say, he's not that anymore. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? He says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was abundant with faith, which in love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause, I obtained mercy. But notice why he says he obtained mercy. I imagine there are any number of reasons. Jesus would say to him, and Ananias, Acts 9, 22, 26, he says that I must show him how much he'll suffer for my name. He appeared to him to make him a witness so that he could be an apostle. There are any number of reasons, but here's the one Paul gives. Paul says in verse 16, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. We sometimes say things like, if he can do it, you can do it. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, if he forgave me, he can forgive you. If I change, you can change. There are great success stories in the scriptures for us to learn from. And if we're going to change and be in this process, that would be one of those things that could really help us. You know, I might add along those same lines is to rely on the brethren, to rely on those who are already further along, more mature. They could tell you how they progressed. They could tell you how they moved forward. They have gone through. Now, they would quickly tell you, I'm not perfect. They'd be the first one to tell you, I'm still working, I'm still growing, I'm still becoming, but they've made progress. And if you're in the process of doing that, who better to talk to than a faithful Christian? How did you do it? How did you overcome? What were some of the things you, you have found beneficial? You could rely on your brethren, faithful Christians, Bible school teachers, your elders. There are any number of people who have made progress you could learn from, gain benefit and strength from. Number next, if you would see change as a benefit and not a punishment. You know, sometimes when you start talking about changing, people resist the change because it feels so burdensome. Well, why I got to do that? And I don't want to do that. And sometimes the first thing they say is, this is hard. You feel like you're being punished. 
Somebody says to themselves, and that's interesting, we often say it to ourselves, not like somebody else is saying it. We pass the mirror, we see ourselves, and then we say, I need to lose weight. And then we get mad that we said it. By the time we get to the kitchen, I ain't losing no weight. Forget them. They didn't say anything. <laughs> you said it. And now you feel like you're being punished. Who's punishing you? I'm going to eat what I want. Who are you talking to, friend? That's you. Are you doing that? But it feels like a punishment. Somebody's finances are not they ought to be. You know what? Hey, you need to budget. You need to go. I need to get my finance together. Okay. But I like shopping. I'm going to buy what I, next thing you know, you're just in this tizzy. I'm going to buy what I want to buy. Nobody's going to tell me. You're the one telling you. It's a blessing. It's not punishment. You should see it that way. This is the reason that using truth as a weapon to defeat error is so important. This is why not blaming other people is so important. This is why seeing sin and the harm that's being done to your life is so important so that you can rejoice at the possibility of change. I need that. I want that. I'm excited about the process of getting there. When you read the conversion accounts, that's exactly what you're reading. These people are not being drugged. These people are not being... When they preach the gospel in Acts chapter 2, they quote Old Testament prophecy, Joel 2, 28 to 32, Acts 2, 17, down to about verse 22. And in that quote, Peter says, among other things, that you killed Jesus. In fact, he says it multiple times in the sermon. By the time he gets to verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, God had made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Bible says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. What did they do? They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? As those who have been murderers of Jesus Christ, what can we do? They're, they're just so happy and thankful there is a way out of this. There is a way to change this? This can be better. We can be different. What do we need to do? When they were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise unto you and to your children, to all those that are far off, even as many as Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then the Bible actually says this, they that gladly received his word. You want to talk about maturity. Here you and I are going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, laboring over sin, struggle, 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 and then somebody comes along, maybe ourselves, somebody comes along and says, you know what, here's a way out of that. Do you gladly receive that? Do you gladly receive the hope of change? Gladly receive the possibility of becoming? They gladly received it, and they were baptized. How am I going to change? You should see it as something positive and not punishment. In Acts chapter 8, they had been seduced and deceived by Simon the sorcerer. And when Philip came preaching Jesus and the kingdom, they believed and they were baptized. Later in Acts chapter 8, when Philip joins himself to the chariot, it's the eunuch that says, see, here's water. What's stopping me? You mean I can be? It's for me too. He sees it as a blessing 
not a burden. He sees it as something positive, not punishment. And it just goes on and on and on that way. It's called good news. There's good news that you can be different. There's good news you can get out. There's good news you can overcome. But that brings us to our final point, and that is this. Don't judge yourself unworthy of it. In Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are preaching. They're preaching to the Jews, and there are Gentiles present, and so they're hearing the sermon as well. And Acts chapter 13 is, is one of those chapters that's kind of like Acts chapter 7, where they, they go through the history of the nation, and they, they begin to talk about God and all that he has done through them. And again, all the advantages the Jews enjoyed as a result of being God's chosen special people. In verse number 44, the Bible says the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled. When they were hearing this good news, the whole city assembled. Why would they do that? To hear the word of the Lord. There's good news. The word of the Lord is being preached and the whole city assembled. But as we read, they came with different motives. Verse 45 says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. It's a slightly different context, I understand that. But have you ever heard somebody do that to change? Somebody brings along good news. Did you know that if you, ABC123, you can? Did you know if you were to do this, you can? Did you know that? And then somebody else who does not want to change hears that and begins contradicting and blaspheming. That's what's happening here. Here's what Paul and Barnabas says in verse number 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. What's happening here, they are judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. Are they worthy of it? Well, yes. Has God provided it? Yes. Are they going to obtain it? No because they've judged themselves unworthy to possess it. You know, that's kind of the way God has situated the whole world and our lives, is that he's put it in our hands. And if change will occur in your life and obeying the gospel or maturing as a Christian, if either one of those things will occur, it will be because you do it, not somebody else. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter and the other apostles preached, they exhorted them with many other words, and this is what they said, Save yourselves. Let me ask you this. In your life, who's going to save you? I mean, you could say, well, Jesus is going to save. Well, that's right. Ultimately, it's always Jesus because only Jesus can save. That's right. But who's going to come to Jesus on your behalf? Who's going to submit to Jesus for you? Who's going to give your whole heart, soul, mind, strength to Jesus? You know who's going to do that? The only one who possesses your soul is you. The only one who can save your soul is you. And so Peter exhorts, save yourselves. We talk about change and transfer. Who's going to do it for you? Who's going to make you a Mormon to a Christian? Who's going to watch as 2023 turns into 2024, but it looked a lot like 2022, which looked like 2021, which had you and I saying, you know, one of these days, you know, one of these days, I'm going to get around to 
know this will be my year when I. If you don't do it, who's going to do it? Peter says, save yourselves, friends. I would suggest to you to do the same thing. But you know the opposite is also said. In Matthew 16 and verse 26, Jesus said, what does a man profit if he gained the whole world and whose soul is he going to lose? This is the reality that you and all need to live with. We can't save anybody else's soul and we can't lose anybody else's soul. But we can save our own and we can lose our own. This is why you cannot blame people. This is why you cannot blame circumstances. This is why you have to look inward. This is why it has to come from you. And if you don't give your heart to Jesus, then you can't be saved by Jesus. You can lose your soul or you can save your soul or whatever it is you're working on right now in your life, you can change it or you cannot change it. But I beg you, do not soulish yourself. Do not sit another day, week, month, year and sit by yourself and comfort yourself with the thought that if the world were different, if people were different, if my circumstances were different, if I had more money, if I had more time, if everything wasn't against me, if, if one year turned to two, two will turn to five, five will turn to ten, ten to three, pretty soon you'll be at the end of your life regretting what you did with your life. If you want to change, you can. If you want to mature, you've got to get in the process and make progress. If you're not a Christian this morning, we beg you to become one. Start today. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in Scripture, but the Scripture has a day of salvation. And the day of salvation in Scripture is always, no matter what day it is, it's always today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. That's the way the Scripture constantly couches it. What if we were here next week? Then it would be today. But you're here today. And so this is the day you need to make the decision to begin the process of making the changes. Would you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? John 8, 24, Jesus said, if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins. And Hebrews 11 says we must have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. We simply must believe that he is. We have to change our hearts and our minds. We have to give those to Jesus, take off the old man. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, we have to change and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The idea of repentance quite literally is a new mind. I have a mind presently. I learn new information. That new information changes, renews my mind. I have now a different mind about Jesus. I want to change. I'm willing to confess his name and be buried with him in baptism into his death and rise and walk in newness of life and then begin my process of growth and maturation to become more and more like him.
If you've never done that, we invite you to. If you have done that and you need to come home, then please do so. If we can help you in any way, we invite as we stand and as we sing.